This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you chiching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, anyone who was around in 2007-2008 will remember the bank collapses, triggered first in the United States and then, of course, around the world, but nobody suffered probably more than the Irish banks who had invested in property or at least encouraged people to invest in property because of loans. And there is now a shadow or a reminder over the United States banking system. Three banks in the last week, 10 days have gone bust. Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank and First Republic Bank. And one noted British economist David Blanchflower, otherwise known as Danny Blanchflower, very respected economist, said over the weekend that he remembered 2007 when people were saying, don't worry, there's nothing to worry about. Of course, there was something to worry about. He said what he's hearing today reminds him of 2007, and he is not, shall we say, sanguine about the present situation. To discuss this now, it's a pleasure to welcome Chris Johns. Chris is former chief economist with the Bank of Ireland, now a very respected commentator with his own podcast, The Other Hand, which he does with Jim Power, another contributor to the stand. And it's a pleasure to welcome Chris because this is his specialist subject, as they might say on Mastermind. Chris, Danny Blanchflower has always been an independent-minded man and a, a free thinker. He still he lives in the United States now, and I know I, that you're personally acquainted with him. If you confirm that, and then you might tell us what you make of these bank failures in the United States. And also, when we get through the bank business, another statement by Janet Yellen, who is the Treasury Secretary in the United States, reminding Americans that the debt ceiling will be reached for the United States on June 1st. Uh, that's a flexible date, but that could happen as soon as June 1st. And this, of course, is very serious indeed and very political. Chris, should we start with the banks and 
your take on now versus 2007 and eight, if there is any. Yeah, there is. there are resemblances, and, and we can make comparisons, as Danny did. As you say, I once upon a time knew Danny very well. We, we shared an office as graduate students. Um, one of us went on to have a glittering career. Um, Danny became a full professor at Dartmouth, which is an Ivy League uh, university in the States. He was a member of the Bank of England's Monetary Policy Committee for a while. So when he speaks, he is taken seriously. And he's voicing what a lot of people are quite scared to say at the moment, because nobody really wants to go public with this fear. Because for one thing, if you are in a position of authority or power or some kind of command over the markets, you don't want to be that person that rattles the markets. Because as we have discussed several times before, Eamon, Banking, if nothing else, is a game of confidence. Yes. And, and you do not want to be the one that was accused of shaking confidence. So all of the regulators, all of the politicians, all of the people in this latest uh, rescue of a bank, First Republic, are saying that it is just another one-off. Now, I don't know whether that's an oxymoron to say that it is just another one-off. How many one-offs do, can you get before you have to admit that it's a trend? Yes. So these are failing financial institutions in what were, for most people, very obscure parts of the financial universe. And that's where it is similar to 2007, 2008. Various little explosions were going off in weird and wonderful parts of the financial system. And it was said at the time, don't worry about it. These things are one off. They do happen from time to time. Nothing to worry about. Nothing to see here. All of which a lot of the time is perfectly true. It just happens that back then it was completely wrong. And as you say, we've had three US banks and one big European bank, Credit Suisse, go under in the last while. First Republic, which is the latest, this is the second biggest bank failure in US banking history, actually. And right. the, the biggest was uh, back then in, in 2008, actually, it was an organization called Washington Mutual. First Republic is second largest. Silicon Valley Bank, the other one that's gone recently, was the third. And Signature Bank is the fourth largest in history. So we're getting some pretty big blow-ups. And that's where we, the similarities end, um, that, because now it becomes very different. Back then, Things were failing because loans that institutions, banks in particular, but not just banks, loans that they had made were going bad. People were not paying them back. And the roots and causes and everything else associated with the financial crisis back then, you can get very fancy with your talk of derivatives and all sorts of things, but it was a very simple thing. People who had borrowed money to buy houses all over the world, but particularly in the United States, stopped paying their mortgages back. And that caused a collapse in the global financial system. It's different this time because it's not loans going bad. It's not the fact that these institutions like First Republic have lent people money that uh, they're not paying. They, that These loans are all being serviced. There are no, there's been no big explosion in what we call bad debts, people defaulting on the loans to these banks. What has actually happened? It's worth spending just 30 seconds, and I'll try to explain it as simply as I can. If First Republic, when it made a loan of $100, say to Eamon Dunphy, $90 of that 100 would have been depositors' money. Yes. $10, $10 would have been the bank's own money. We call it shareholders' equity or shareholders' funds. 
all fine. Those loans are being serviced. The problem is that the value of those loans, which originally were 100, have gone down to, and I'm picking simple numbers to keep it simple, the value of that 100 has gone down to 85. So $15 of value in the bank has gone missing, which means that the bank has a negative net worth of five. And um, that means it's insolvent. Yes. And when a bank is thought to be insolvent, depositors start taking their money out because quite rightly, sometimes quite wrongly, sometimes they fear that the bank could fail. It must be stressed that these were paper losses. These weren't actually losses that had been realized. It was just because when interest rates go up, and this is the driving force behind all of this, when interest rates go up, loans that were previously made on the basis that interest rates were low, the va- their, their value, because loans have value in the marketplace, goes down. So the, this bank technically became insolvent, which caused depositors to take their money out. And that's exactly the same in a way that happens to Silicon Valley Bank. And that, and so what, what we learned over the course of the last while is that there's been a huge run on this bank of depositors taking their money out because of a technical a threatened technical insolvency. And eventually, um, it had to be rescued. It's been rescued in a different way, Silicon Valley Bank. Um, in the case of First Republic, JP Morgan, with the assistance of some federal money, has taken it over. Right. Is 90-10 a normal ratio uh, yeah, it varies. Of, of it can, deposits it, to bank shareholders. Yeah, it, it can be 85-15. That, that would be more typically the case in, in say, Ireland. But 90-10 is a good rule of thumb for the U.S., yeah. You said something there, uh, Chris, uh, to the effect that this time is different. There's a saying by one of the great financial heroes that the four most expensive words in history were, this time it's different. Um, That's absolutely right, Eamon. And and we we learned that during the last financial crisis when everybody was saying that this time it's different. Don't worry, it'll be all right. And the reason why Danny Blanchefar and one or two others, and I stress it is one or two, it isn't very many, are saying, mind your eye, is because we are quietly worried that um, it's hope versus expectation. We know that this has happened. We don't know what's going to happen next. It could be that no more banks go under and no more banks need rescuing. No more banks need bailouts from uh, taxpayers. That is the hope. Um, but we don't know. We, we simply don't know. And uh, what has happened in the United States is that interest rates have gone up a lot, just as they have here in the UK and with you in Ireland. And the, the main consequences of those higher interest rates, most unexpectedly, have come on the banking system rather than the economy. The interest rates were raised to slow the economy and push inflation down. The main consequence of those interest rates going up is being felt by these regional banks. That's what they are. There are two types of banks in the States. They're they're big, what we used to call big money center banks like JP Morgan, the big New York banks, um, and these regional banks, Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, First Republic. These regional banks have gotten themselves into trouble because they had a business model that was based on interest rates staying low forever. Is there bad, you know, when you referred earlier to the property as being the cause of the collapse in 2008 in the United States initially, which then became contagious around the world, the bad behavior there were hustlers 
selling mortgages to people who had no means of paying them back in order to get their bonuses. Maybe I'm simplifying it a bit, but I don't think I'm simplifying it in essence. These were what you'd call rogue bankers. It was a subprime market they were operating in. They'd see somebody who clearly was unemployed, clearly didn't have the means to pay a mortgage back, sign them up, get the sign, get the fee for signing up a new client, and away we go. We had a whole new vernacular jargon. We had liar loans, in which everybody knew that the people borrowing the money were lying on the application yes. forms. We had what were called ninja loans, which was no income, no job loans. Yes. Um, we also had loans to dead people. Yes. We had loans to children. We, we, it, the the, the carry-on last time was just extraordinary. Is there any of that present? No, in- nothing so egregious as that. But what we think has happened, and, and we don't know everything yet, but what we think has happened is twofold. One, the as I say, that the management of these banks made a critical error. They were poorly managed banks as a result of this rather schoolboy error, if you like, that they assumed that the low interest rate environment would continue would last for, forever. forever. Yes. Um, back then, there were, the assumption in which the whole edifice was based last time was that uh, house prices would never go down. Um, so, uh, a cla- you know, in both cases, we have an assumption being made upon which businesses were built that was a dopey assumption to begin with because we know that house prices can go down. And we also know that interest rates can go up. History, a, a, a nodding acquaintance with history will, will tell you both things can happen. So failure number one is that the, the management of these banks was very poor in terms of the assumptions it was making about the future direction of interest rates. They assumed that interest rates would stay low forever. The second failure was on the part of the regulators. One of the things that was supposed to happen after the 2007-8 financial crisis, and it did on both sides of the Atlantic, is that regulators uh, basically put the foot on the, their feet on the necks of the banks, and all sorts of rules regulations were put in place to try and make sure that this never happened again. One of the things that's been blamed for this generally is that the regulators and the Federal Reserve has admitted that it didn't do a good job when it came to monitoring and controlling these banks. One of the reasons for that is that they simply did a bad job. Another is that they weren't allowed to do their job because a lot of these banks, after the crisis was over, lobbied Washington when Donald Trump was in president, was president, to row back some of these new rules and regulations. And some of these banks, uh, Silicon Valley Bank was in the vanguard of this, actually, um, persuaded Donald Trump's administration to exclude its, exclude them, these regional banks, from uh, the rules and regulations. So the JP Morgans of this world stayed tightly regulated, but the regulations were loosened on Silicon Valley Bank. So it's a failure of management and a failure of regulation. That's what's happened this time. Is Trump uh, responsible? I think he's partly responsible for this. He's partly responsible, yeah. yeah. Now, in Europe, Chris, Christine Lagarde is the president of the European Central Bank. She's actually a lawyer rather than an economist, and she has a very checkered history. She was also the head of the IMF before she got this job in Europe. An extraordinary, bizarre appointment in my view, but you'd know far better than me. Now, she's got to manage this, hasn't she? Because the ECB will have an inflation dilemma, and we're asking a lawyer about economics. Is that 
a, yeah, a, that's naive, right. a and, naive question, or is it how, how well, is this woman equipped to deal with this? Well, we, we have to be very careful here because one of the things that uh, Christine Lagarde herself, and indeed people around Christine Lagarde, who say that the criticisms that are made of her, particularly in her most recent tenure, are based on misogyny. So let's 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 not uh, get too carried away because, um, as I say, yeah. they they are push they are pushing back really hard against her critics. And one of the ways in which they're pushing back is to say that everybody's having a go at her just because she's a woman. Another way that they have, that they're having their say is that she's pushing back against the economists because what they're saying is that when she took over at the ECB, particularly over the last couple of years, she, um, was a victim of very poor economic forecasts that the ECB economists right. told her that inflation that famous word again was going to be transitory and yes. she, she therefore was very reluctant to put up interest rates in the way that other central banks were because if you look at what the us has done if you look at what the bank of england has done the european central bank was last out of those three to start raising rates and has been slower to raise rates i know irish mortgage holders will find that hard to believe but so far the european central bank has been lagging and she has been deemed to have made a mistake she's trying to blame those essentially those economic forecasts which recently she's decided to start ignoring and so she's saying that she's relying very heavily on the data as it comes in rather than forecasts of the data what it might do so um, there is a rearguard action being fought by um, as i say by the head of the ecb lagarde against her critics of which now there are many to the point now where the third thing that, that's being said by people close to lagarde is that she's very unhappy there and that she would much prefer to be back at the IMF and that she, she, she regards Washington, D.C. as her second home. Um, so that there, there's lots of noise swirling around um, the criticism and unhappiness of the, the, the most important person in Europe, it has to be said at the moment, because we do later this week get a decision from her and her colleagues on the ECB Governing Council about what they're going to do next with interest rates. We're pretty sure they're going to put them up. What we don't know is by how much. Now, for people in Ireland with the normal, if they're lucky these days, mortgage mortgages and indeed with a memory of what happened in 2008, does it have consequences for the people of this country is the second question. The first question is, how confident can you be, Chris, that the reaction of the Biden administration and the big institutions in Washington or in New York, the big bankers like Jamie Dimon, for example, how confident can we be that they can save the day here, that this can be f fixed? Or are we looking at something that they can't really be confident they can control? I think that they all would say in private what I'm saying to you, Eamon, which is that we sincerely hope and that there are some good reasons for that hope that these problems can be contained. And that's what they're saying in public. But in private, they will be saying, we're really worried that there is going to be more coming down the pipe at us. And I would share Danny Blanchflower's uh, concerns in this regard, in that um, these things that are contagious. Uh, the regional banks do look shaky in the United States. And we've lived through the most unprecedented rise in interest rates that we've seen in a very long time. And this point that I keep hammering away at, which is that people built banks 
or built uh, growth in banks on the basis that interest rates would stay low forever. If one or two banks had, had done this, given herd behavior of management of all yes. sorts of companies, not just banks, but particularly banks, if one or two of them were at it, one of the lessons of the financial crisis is that if one or two people are at something, there's usually some others as well, and it, yes. isn't, it isn't contained. So I am, I am very worried without knowing, and I don't think anybody knows, if and when the next problem is going to pop up. But I do think that there are big questions to be asked about the security, safety of the US banking system, particularly these regional banks. And if that worry comes to pass, we're not, we're going to be affected. Absolutely. And Credit Suisse got itself into trouble for very different reasons. That was just a poorly managed bank, full stop. It had very different, uh, its problems had very different roots to the ones in the United States. But if, if there are banks in Europe that have built business models on low interest rates remain, you know, staying forever, then we are going to see similar problems crop up in Europe. But even if it is just restricted to the, to the United States, if more comes, more problems happen in the United States, then there will be wider turmoil in financial markets and therefore wider economic effects that will affect everybody, including those of us here in the UK and in Ireland. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Now, one issue that is very much on the agenda in the United States for the administration is a warning issued yesterday, actually, by Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, a respected and experienced economist. She warned in a letter to Congress yesterday that the debt ceiling in the United States will be reached on or about June 1st, which means that technically 
the U.S. government, as it says in this morning's uh, FT, and I quote, the U.S. government risks running out of money as soon as June 1st. And given that the Republicans control the House of Representatives, where this will land on the, on a desk of someone maybe hostile to Joe Biden, likely hostile to Joe Biden, and indeed perhaps to financial orthodoxy. How big a problem is that? Potentially, it's huge. It's enormous. And does it in any way relate to the other problem? Can one make the other worse or better? Oh, definitely these problems could interact with each other to make yes. each other worse. Absolutely. The debt ceiling thing has been around for a very long time. It's a peculiarity of the U.S. political economic system that they have this debt ceiling. It's $31.4 trillion. That's a lot of money. It I remember was, when it was $22 trillion. Yeah. I think Bill Clinton may have faced this problem, uh, or was it Obama? Both. Both of them. Right. And it's, we've gone through this uh, to a greater or lesser extent 78 times since 1960. Wow. We've had this debt ceiling route. Sometimes it's, 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 it goes through on the nod. Sometimes, as now, it's a huge row because one party, usually the Republicans, play politics with this debt ceiling with an American Democrat president. And the reason why they do it is that they try to force the president to change tack on whatever signature economic policy they happen to have at the time. Republicans hated uh, Obama's um, Obamacare, the health reforms that he did. Uh, what this current lot of Republicans hate is just about everything about Joe Biden. And um, they hate the fact that government spending on an annual basis at the moment in the States is about $6.3 trillion. It's a lot of money. But 60% of that is on what we call non-discretionary. It's mandated. They've got to spend it because it's Social Security, it's Medicare yes. and Medicaid, the healthcare programs. Um, another 10% is debt interest. You can't get around that unless you want to default, which leaves 30% in what we call discretionary spending, half yes. of which is defense, which these days isn't discretionary anymore. That's going up. So the, what they want him to do is cut spending. And they passed a bill on April the 26th last month in which this is the Congress, the Republican-controlled Congress passed a bill in which they did all sorts of things like reducing Biden's uh, tax incentives for alternative energy, particular solar. And they also mandated over a number of years $4.5 trillion in spending cuts now, given that list of things that they do spend yes. money on, which is mostly Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, defense, um, there's only a, a few big areas where you could get those kind of spending cuts from. And guess where it comes from? It comes from Medicare and Medicaid. And that would be intensely political. Oh, yeah, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't get the Senate. It, was, it would be yeah. dead in the Senate in, in the unlikely event that it got through the Senate. Biden would veto it. So they're not. So they haven't been talking. Kevin, Kevin McCarthy, the um leader of the, the Republicans in in the House. The um, speaker, the, yeah. the man uh, Donald Trump calls Mike Heaven. <laughs> Indeed. He, he, oh, he, used to, anyway. he, was, he was in Israel over the weekend, and um, uh, he's been speaking about this, and he complained that Biden hasn't even phoned him about this. But today, we have some progress. They are going to talk about all of this next week, a week, uh, next Tuesday on the 9th of May, which is, which is a sign of some progress. I think it could well have been sparked by that letter Janet Yellen 
wrote. Because what happens in early, early June is that on the current fiscal arithmetic, um, there's a number of benefit payments that have to be made that could be so high that the government does actually run out of money. As I say, this ceiling was actually reached last January, January the 19th, actually. And they, the government has been in what we call special measures. They've been doing all sorts of rinky dinks to find money down the back of the sofa. It yeah. has to be a blooming big sofa, it has to be said. Yeah. And so th they could pull some more rinky dinks if, uh, they can, if they can get themselves to June the 15th, ahead of this June 1st deadline. There's a whole bunch of tax revenues coming in. That could see them through to June the 30th. And they, believe it or not, in the government retirement fund, the pension funds that it has to pay its own employees, uh, rather than uh, uh, do some investment, they could take $143 billion. There's all sorts of these things going on, which would make your head spin. You cannot believe that a serious government would engage in these kinds of financial shenanigans just in order to pay its employees, to pay Social Security benefits, to run the Medicare and Medicaid programs. But this is what is going on. And there's only so many rinky-dinks you can do for so long before it all runs out. These special measures, as we call them, will eventually run out. And unless they do a deal between the White House and Congress, uh, we do have the potential for a default. Now, under Obama, I think it was, during these kinds of uh, fights, the U.S. had its sovereign debt downgraded by S&P, the famous rating agencies yes. that were so damaging to Ireland during the financial crisis. And got a lot of things wrong as well. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't, know why, I don't know why anybody pays attention to these rating agencies. Their reputation was deservedly trashed yeah. back then. But nobody knows what would happen in the event of a default. Our worry is that it would be enormous, that the, bond, the government bond market would crash, the stock market would crash, Interest rates would shoot up, there would be a recession, and all sorts of horrible things like that could flow, which would be very long-lasting. The reputation of the U.S. government for financial probity, such as it is, given all of these shenanigans, um, would be trashed for a very long time. So they have to sort this out. Because we're, we don't know for sure what the consequences are going to be. We're, we're really worried that it could be enormous. And one of the ways in which it could be big is that this will interact with the banks. So if the banks are already weak because of what's happened to interest rates, they're not going to be strengthened by any of this. And um, one other factor, uh, Chris, before we let you go in that equation, would the fact that a lot, an awful lot of Americans have their pensions in uh, 401ks and therefore the stock market is watched that people watch it like a, like hawks because that's their pension money they've invested. It is, it seems, and it always seemed to me very risky way to, you know, depend for your pension, but that's what they do. And my understanding is 401ks will be hit badly by this. Potentially, yes. As I say, if U.S. asset prices go down a lot, that will include the stock market. And that's it, very political, isn't it? Oh, very, very. The stock market's always political in the, yeah. United, in the United States. And uh, that's, as you say, is because so many people are personally, one way or another, invested in it. So right. it, it, and one of the sinister things about this is that uh, there is a school of thought that says that they, the, the Republicans think that this, if they do this, although all of those negative economic things and negative political things, reputational things will be bad for the United States, it will also be very bad for Joe Biden. And you know what we're going into next year. 
Yes, indeed, the 2024 election and the, the Donald who is going to be in Ireland this week is in Scotland at the moment. So could, Donald, could Donald Trump's friend, Mr. McCarthy, want to help him for that election campaign in this way? Could they be that it, cynical? Well, it's highly likely, but we watch this space. Just a final assertion from me that you can shoot and people should be aware this can affect us and it is not a time to be complacent or in any way reckless with money because these signs in the United States uh, and the contagion that, that may follow can be very rapid. Absolutely, 100%, Eamon. Okay, Chris, we're very grateful to you as always. Chris Jones, former Chief Economist of the Bank of Ireland. Chris's podcast, The Other Hand, is a delight with Jim Power as well. No football on there, but other than that, very good economics. <laughs> Thanks very much, Chris. Thanks to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.